like beer? Do you love sports and beer? Then you're exactly where you need to be. This is the Hughes Views and Brews Show on 1252 Sports Chicago. Cheers. Welcome in, everybody, to another Hubes Views and Brews from my basement. A nice, chilly basement, and it's going to be needed tomorrow when they, they say the feels like temperature is going to be 105. Uh, we've got a good show, I think, for you. At least I know I'm going to have fun. Uh, I've got a beer sitting here. I'm going to open up in just a second. Uh, we're also going to talk with Jim Miller, Director of Publicity, and also the handicapper from Hawthorne Racecourse. A lot of things going on at Hawthorne Racecourse. We'll talk about that also when we, he joins us in just a few minutes. And um, we're going to talk Bears. We're going to talk some White Sox. And uh, as I mentioned, again, plenty of uh, beer conversation in the second half hour of the show. Remember, if you're watching, you can always jump on in on Facebook. You can jump on in on Twitch or any of the other thing, ways to watch the show. Or you can always leave me messages during the course of the week, and I can get back to you. We can talk to you that way uh, right here on Hubes Views and Brews. Don't forget a lot of other shows on the 1252 Sports Network. You got the world's best fantasy show, and it's really important now with fantasy football coming up uh, 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. The Fat Mike Chicago Sports Show on Wednesdays. Robstein and Schuster Express on Sundays. Had a good show the other day. David had Mark Harmon on from WGN and also doing some stuff over at NBC Sports Chicago. So uh, check it out if you're on YouTube or you want to catch up on any of the shows we've done in the past. You can go to YouTube. Or you can go to Spotify for the audio of all those shows and just go to the 1252 Sports Chicago and you can find all the shows that we've done over the last, uh, heck, several months uh, right here with the 1252 Sports Chicago guys. Um, let's start with the Chicago Bears. We're going to talk some White Sox, but uh, Jim Miller knows a little bit of baseball, so we're going to talk with him about the White Sox in a little bit. Um, Mitchell Trubisky came back to town. Mitchell Trubisky came to Soldier Field, and the Buffalo Bills made sure that Mitchell Trubisky looked good in his return to uh, where he was drafted, as Trubisky was 20 for 28, 221 yards and a touchdown, marched the uh, Buffalo Bills downfield for four scores, a 34, uh, a nice lead at the half. They end up the final score of 41-15. Buffalo beats the Bears, and it's not that Mitchell Trubisky should have been staying with the Bears. It's not that the Bears made a mistake and should have kept him instead of getting Andy Dalton and going for the draft. Mitchell Trubisky is who we, he was. Um, the Buffalo Bills worked it where he'd do a lot of quick passes, a lot of one reads, um, you know, one receiver reads, and they made sure that he was going to look good, and he did. There was no doubt about it. He looked good, and he looked better than the Bears. And the one thing that you may be disappointed in is the Bears' defense. Now, they were probably playing a vanilla defense. Okay, I understand that. But it would be nice if they could get to the quarterback. And if you can't get to the quarterback with the outside linebackers and the defensive line and with Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn and Akeem Hicks and all that, you're going to struggle a little bit this year because you have second-year cornerbacks. I know I've mentioned this before. Jalen Johnson on one side and Kendall Vildor on the other. 
you're going to struggle if you're going to leave both these guys out on an island and not get to the QBs. The quarterbacks in the National Football League are going to be able to pick apart the Chicago Bears defense if they don't get to them. Roquan Smith has not been playing at all. Danny Trevathan's not been playing. Alec Ogletree has looked very, very good. Looks like a really nice pickup that the Chicago Bears made and maybe a guy that's going to get more playing time than we originally thought. I'm eager to see what Eddie Goldman does, eager to see Bilal Nichols in the middle of the line, and Eddie Jackson showed again he still cannot tackle. I don't know what happened to Eddie Jackson after his first year with the Bears. The last couple of years he has shown he's not a good tackler, and you can't have that with your safety, not being able to get the guy on the ground. Yeah, he made one tackle late, but on that first touchdown, Quinn missed one, he missed one. It was not pretty, and the Bears' number one defense, at least the number one defense that was out there, got shredded by Mitchell Trubisky. Now for the quarterback situation, okay? Now, we can yell and complain and bitch and moan. I was listening to Sylvie and Waddle today, and Sylvie's complaining, and Carmen and Yurko are complaining. That what is it that Andy Dalton's going to give us? Why do you have to have Dalton play and not have Justin Fields put him in there? Fields can do um, what Andy Dalton can do and more. First of all, we don't know that, okay? We watch a lot of football. We're not football experts. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Ryan Pace or Matt Nagy are football experts. But they have said since the start that Dalton was going to be the quarterback and Justin Fields was going to learn. Now, I expect Justin Fields to get in four, five, six games in, whatever, because I don't necessarily expect this Bears offense to do a whole heck of a lot with Andy Dalton. And we have seen what Justin Fields can do. But I don't think there's any problem with Andy Dalton getting the starting job and Justin Fields coming in when the Bears think he's ready. Also, maybe when he's a little more prepared, he will have to learn how to read blitzes. He will learn how to read defenses as uh, a guy came in untouched from the right side and popped him. His head popped off like a Pez dispenser. It was amazing. Um the thing that bothered me on that play, and I don't know if anybody else was bothered by that, but the thing that bothered me was that nobody on the Bears' defense or offensive line or anybody went after and got in the face of the guy that hit him. It was Andre Smith. Nobody got in his face. You hit my rookie quarterback like that and his helmet pops off, I'm getting in your face. I'm not going to get a penalty. I'm not going to, but there's no, you've got to get in the face of the guy. and. It was just a bad move, I thought, for guys not to. And if players are looking to make an impression, some of these offensive linemen, you get in the face, you defend your quarterback, and you're going to look good not only to the coaches, but to the players and say, yay, you're stepping up for my guys. Last year, Mustafer and Bars, the two undrafted free agents out of Notre Dame, they would get downfield, pick up the Bears running back, get them back to the huddle, they would do it constantly. I'm pretty sure that if either one of those guys were in the game, they would have been in the face of Smith, the, the player from Buffalo who hit um, Justin Fields. There's no reason for them not to be. Fields showed us he can run. We knew he could run. He had four rushes for 46 yards. The nice part about him is if he's stuck, he can take off. The Bears have allowed him to run. That's the kind of offense they're going to have when he's in there. When Andy Dalton's in there, he's not going to go anywhere. He's a pocket guy. Uh, Fields for the game was 9 for 19 for 80 yards. 
When he does let the ball go, it flies. It looks pretty. Dalton was 11 for 17, 146 yards. A nice touchdown to Rodney Adams. Adams made a nice catch, second year in a row. Not necessarily a guy that's expected to be on the team this year, but he made a really nice catch and went for the touchdown. Uh, it was nice to see him battle and get a 50-50 ball because, as I mentioned before, here on Hubes, Views, and Brews, Allen Robinson's really bad, in my opinion, on 50-50 balls. He doesn't come down with them for some reason. The cornerbacks do a better job of uh, getting them than he does, and that can't be this way. It can't be. A um, couple other things really quickly. Um, I mentioned the cornerbacks, the linebackers. I've heard Danny Trevathan's not looking good, so maybe Alec Ogletree, perfect time to pick him up. For years, I've been wondering what Chris Tabor does. And people have told me, oh, Chris Tabor is a really good special teams coach. How could you prove that by anybody? Chris Tabor's special teams looks brutal right now. They're not able to cover kicks. Um, they're not sure who's going to return the ball. They really don't know where they're going. This after getting rid of their, their kick, Cordero Patterson, a guy that ran sometimes, in my opinion, a little bit too, too much out of the end zone. But now they're relying on rookies and uh, guys that have not done it, at least in the uh, pro level. So I got a feeling the special teams are going to hurt the Bears this season. Just one more thing the Bears are going to struggle with. And I understand that the punter, O'Donnell, is not out there to make tackles. But on the return of the punt for a touchdown, you could at least make an effort to show you're trying to tackle somebody. That would be nice. He didn't even make, he just watched. He ran alongside the player for Buffalo before he ran in for the score. So a lot of things, a lot of concerns about the Chicago Bears. Um, we're not going to have any of these answered or solved in the Saturday game in Tennessee because I would not expect any of the Bears starters to play in that game either because if Matt Nagy stays consistent, he has not played his starters in the final preseason game. And this is the final preseason game, game three of three. You have 17 regular season games this year and three preseason games. So after this last preseason game, the Bears will have two weeks off before the opener against the Rams in Los Angeles, against Matthew Stafford, and against the defense that was one of the top defenses in the league. It brings you Aaron Donald, and uh, against a very, very questionable Bears offensive line. Hopefully by that time, the Bears offensive line will have a little bit of consistency. At least they'll know who the starters are going to be. Fetty is off the list, off the injured list. He was practicing, I think, today. Um, Jason Peters was supposed to practice. Now, he may see some time getting some snaps. You've got white hair. You've got Mustafer. See what's happening with James Daniels. You're going to have some kind of rotation, I'm thinking, on that offensive line unless everybody, unless you get five guys stepping up and showing they can play and be a cohesive unit. So there's a lot of things for Matt Nagy to put together before he has to deal with putting Justin Fields out there as the starting quarterback. Um I want to go to my guest because he's a, he's a guy that uh, you hear him on the odds couple with Carmen DeFalco and Mike North. Uh, he is Jim Miller from Hawthorne Racecourse as we bring in Jim here on Hubes Views and Brews. What's up, Jim? What's up, Fred? I, I, I hear you talking bears and, and I sit here and wonder time and again, what's the point of any NFL preseason game? It doesn't seem like any of the starters are playing anymore. What's the point of even having them? I know. I sit there and watch highlights, and I don't know the names of any of these guys. And the guys on the NFL Network are rattling off the names of the players like they've you know, they've seen them constantly and they picked them in their fantasy leagues. 
So it's it's kind of weird. I don't think they should have any. Kind of like college football, yeah. you know, have scrimmages, do things like that, scrimmage against teams. You could probably get more work in that way than you do now. But hey, it's 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 weird. The NFL wants to do it because they make money. They get right. people into the building. And when you have Justin Fields, there were a lot of Bears fans who wanted to go out and see what Justin Fields could do. So I can understand that a little bit. Yeah. Um, before we get into White Sox baseball and baseball in general, um, I want to talk about Hawthorne because yeah. when I was growing up, I was I grew up in Cicero. I grew up on 26th in Austin, right across from Goodwin School. And we used to go to Sportsman's Park and Hawthorne. And Sportsman's Park was like the crown jewel of harness racing. Yeah. A 5-H track on Saturdays in the 70s. There would be 40,000 people there. I just gave my brother a – I got one of the um, – um, one of the programs from what Albatross set the, the, the record time and things like that. I'm a pack rat. I collect a lot of stuff. And um, it was awesome. And Hawthorne has outlived all of them. Hawthorne's outlived Maywood and Sportsman's and Balmoral and all these tracks. Um, it's surprising, I think, to a lot of people in the area that Hawthorne's still been around. But the mile track, they run both uh, harness and thoroughbred. Is that one of the main reasons you think they stuck around? You know what? It's a couple of things. I mean, like you say, you're running both breeds. Think about this. We're the only track in the United States that does a track conversion from a standard bread surface to a thoroughbred surface. We're the last ones that are doing it in the United States. So that's oh. one thing. And then second, this is the oldest sporting venue in the state of Illinois. It's been owned by the Carey family for over 100 years. And Fred, I think that's probably one of the keys is being family owned there's that pride. It's passed from generation to generation to generation. And you do what you have to do to just kind of stay afloat and stay open and battle through. And you know the battles. I mean, you've seen, I see you out there at Hawthorne. Sure. 15 years ago, you had Hawthorne, you had Sportsman's, you had Arlington, you had Maywood, you had Belmoral, Fairmont Park down south. We're down to one track now coming up next year in Northern Illinois. It's kind of scary for the horsemen on both ends of things. But uh, I'll tell you, I mean, I, I have all the confidence in the world of the uh, management at Hawthorne. I'm proud. This is my 25th year. And uh, I'll tell you, it's fun to say that I get paid to go to the races each and every day. Sure. There's no doubt about it. And the last couple of years, it's been even more exciting with gambling coming. And let's be honest, if gambling would have come here earlier, maybe some of these tracks like Maywood and Balmoral, maybe they don't close. Okay. Sure. If if they, I went, when the Bears were in Platteville, I've told the story before, when the Bears were in Platteville, I left practice after one day. I drove to Dubuque to a dog track, bet, uh, won $300 in a slot machine, lost the race, and went back to the dorms because I didn't have, you know, I wasn't going to blow my money all night long. But, you know, for years they wanted it, they didn't get it. But now Hawthorne's a completely different track. Um, you have harness racing, you'll have thoroughbred racing, but try to explain to some people because it's a big track. You've got, it's a mild track, but you also have grandstands, you have clubhouses, and everything's kind of been changed a little bit over the last couple of years. Well, and that's the thing about it. I mean, Hawthorne burned down in the late 70s. I mean, everybody talks about the fire at Arlington Park about six years before Hawthorne burned down. So when they rebuilt the structure, they rebuilt it at the time when everybody had to come on site to watch and wager on the races. So this was a facility built for 35,000 fans. And like you mentioned, with, with the heyday of racing at Sportsman's Park, you had that many fans each and every night because that's the only sure. way you can come and bet on the races. So now what we have is this huge, massive structure, but you're in the age of full card simulcasting. You're in the age of online betting and that. And people have so many other options to bet on the horses. 
So you have to kind of modify the way you do things on site. And I'll tell you, we're so fortunate and, and so lucky to have that legislation passed that not only brought in the possibility for casino gambling at the racetracks, but sports betting as well. So now what we have is this massive structure at Hawthorne that we're able to modify into not only a racetrack, a full-blown casino, and a sports book. And when we talk sports book, we're not going to talk just like a, a little like Buffalo Wild Wings type of setup. You're talking the Vegas-style sports amphitheater, which is what we're going to put in. You can combine sports wagering with full-card simulcasting on horses. But the main thing, Fred, that is really cool about it is all the plans involve horse racing. You've been over 100 years of racing at Hawthorne. We want to expose betters to horse racing. We want to get that crossover player to go from maybe a sports wagerer to a horse better and back and forth. And this is something that we're looking forward to do. It's a $400 million project. So we're not skimping by any means. We're talking big bucks here too. Yeah, definitely. I know my brother has wanted to go for the last couple of weeks. I think we're coming out there next Sunday night, uh, 6.30 post, I think, on Sunday nights. And But it, it's nice because now the deal with points bet, yep. there's, you're, you're, you're there and then two other places, Crestwood and Vernon Hills, correct? The Prospect Heights, yep. The Prospect Heights. And um, so the, the nice cooperation with them or the affiliation with them, every time you see a commercial, all of a sudden you see Alan Iverson up there talking, you know, points bet and everything else. And I know there's a lot of times on uh, NBC Sports Chicago on the commercials you see and they peg off the places in Crestwood and Prospect Heights and Hawthorne Racecourse. And the nice part is on Sundays, I mean, I'm this is really going to be the first NFL season where people are going to be able to go to a place like Hawthorne and bet the NFL from a place like that and watch horses when they're running too. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about it. I mean, last year you were dealing with the pandemic, Fred. So you're right. You really couldn't come yeah. out there and enjoy that afternoon of racing and betting on NFL action. And this year you can, and we've noticed that you're starting to see more and more fans come in on the sports wagering end of things, even for preseason football. I mean, the amount of wagering action on preseason football has been insane this year. And just to talk about it too, but you look at that setup when you come in for a racing afternoon. If you come in in September, you're going to be able to bet the noon games, the 3 o'clock games, and then lead into a night of harness races. When you come in in October, November, December, we're going to have live thoroughbred racing going on. So you figure maybe you're playing a couple of NFL games there. The game takes three hours. You're looking to have something else to play throughout the course of the day. You have the opportunity to play four or five races from Hawthorne as well. And that's what we want to do. Expose the horse racing to the sports better and vice versa. The setup is beautiful. There's tons of TVs. Everywhere you look, you're going to find a TV. There's food and beverage service right there. We just installed a huge projector screen, too, so your game of the week is going to be on that big screen when you're sitting there as well. It's a great setup, and we really do encourage everybody to come and check it out. So that's that's currently. So what exactly is being worked on now, and what's it going to look like when, it, when that's finished? Uh, the insanity of what you can do with the structure that was so huge for horse racing to where we are right sure. now is crazy. Um, we went through months of demo work. And when you're talking demo work, you have a building that was 40 plus years old. You have miles and miles of wiring, of piping, of water, of everything that you have to do. But then it was every floor tile. It was all of the TVs having to come down throughout the facility to kind of gut everything to basically say, hey, we're going to take a shell of the structure, stay within our, our means, and then look to really kind of expand and build. So now what you're going to see 
is with the focus on horse racing, we want the horse racing patrons to be right there on the finish line. So they're going to be focused mm -hmm. right around the finish line. You're going to have that great dining room. The Gold Cup dining room is getting completely redone. Your simulcast sections and that will be beautiful. And then what you're going to see is you're going to have one floor that, like I mentioned, will be that sports wagering amphitheater, which you're going to go in and you're going to have a huge theater set up, massive TVs, those nice leather chairs that you can sit back there and really enjoy sure. that day of the action. But then if you go up a floor, it's a full-blown casino. And we're not talking just slots anymore. This is table games. This is full casino, slots, tables, craps, roulette, anything you want to see. And when you're just 10 minutes outside of Chicago, you write off I-55, you're two miles away from 290. The population base that you can expose to all of these in one venue is something we haven't seen in Illinois. And, and it's something that we're really excited about, too. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's, I cannot wait to get out there. My brother just jumped down. He goes, it sounds awesome. Well, we'll see it next week. Uh, so we, we're looking forward to getting out there. We were, we're hardest racing fans. When we were in grade school, no, I'm sorry, high school, we would go to the track. We'd walk home from, from the track. It was kind of a long walk, but after you won it a little bit, you'd always pick up hot dogs from the, from the hot dog cart that used to be out there back in the 70s. No hot dogs if you don't win. We just had to come back hungry. But uh, I cannot wait to get back out there. And uh, with all the things that are happening with the casino and everything else, really looking forward to it at Hawthorne Racecourse. Okay. Your, your bio uh, just on your Twitter, and I knew this, but it says X minor league pitcher. You're sitting down. Let people that don't haven't seen you know how tall are you? I'm 6'7". You, you look taller, I think. Maybe, maybe because maybe because you're thinner, you look taller even. But when where'd you go to uh, college, and what was your minor league pitching like? So I was a uh, prospect high school graduate, and then I went to Carthage College up in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So a, a small sure. Division three school, and I really I didn't play baseball really until my senior year, and it, it was one of those really just kind of glorious years where you had this tall, lanky kid who they found out could throw really hard. And I had a really good season. We ended up uh, going to the College World Series that year. I was an All-American. And I got drafted in the 11th round by the Brewers, which is something where you look at the draft, you don't see players from Carthage College really popping up no. in the 11th round. So <laughs> it was a very cool experience. I was able to play four years in the minors. I played in uh, Helena, Montana, Ogden, Utah, Beloit, Wisconsin, and Stockton, California. So I was able to move through some levels. And as you move up, I mean, you got to see some really good players. Ben Sheets, an all-star, was a roommate of mine, an sure. absolutely great guy. I played against Adam Dunn. I played against Raul Abanez. I pitched against Barry Zito. I pitched against Scott Williamson. Names that made it to the majors. And you find out, I mean, it, it's such a thin line between being that minor league pitcher and making it to the majors. And and it's it's about confidence it's a little bit of luck but it's a little bit for a pitcher of location as well too it's, it's spotting that ball each and every time out um, but it was a fun career played for four years um, extremely fortunate to be able to leave baseball and move right on to uh, my work at Hawthorne Racecourse and uh, starting in the horse racing industry before baseball it was really kind of an easy transition to come right back after baseball yeah I was going to ask you how you got into horses because I knew I knew the baseball part but how did you get into the horses so the first time I was going to go to the racetrack was going to be for my 10th birthday, which would have been August 1st, 1985. And I was going to go to Arlington Park. Arlington burned down on July 31st of 1985. So a day before my 10th birthday, um, I actually sat outside and, and watched the facility burn. So it was uh, uh, something I'll never forget. Um, I was in there a couple of years prior in the old Arlington as a Boy Scout. We used to have our Pinewood Derby races in the old Arlington. So 
the big sure. wooden structure you kind of got to see. But uh, going to Prospect High School nearby, I actually was able to get a summer job at Arlington Park. So I started at Arlington and I worked there half a year as a green coat. So it was kind of your guest services type of thing. And then around Arlington Million Time, they needed help in the press box. So I moved into the press box. I worked with Joe Christofek, who's now the uh, analyst at Churchill sure. Downs. Dave Zenner was working in there as their PR manager, and they brought me on board. And then I just never left. I was able to stay in the uh, press box there all the way until I got drafted in uh, 1997. And then after that, just the way the baseball season worked, well, I couldn't work the summer at Arlington and play baseball in the summer. So the next best season was the fall racing season at Hawthorne. So that was the transition for me. I'd get done with baseball transitioned right over into racing at Hawthorne and then was just able to stay right thereafter. That's great. And obviously you had a love of baseball when you were playing. And I know by following you on Twitter, you still have a love of baseball. Um, how do you feel about when you watch pitching? And you, I think you're a White Sox fan. I know you talk oh, yeah. a lot of White Sox. Yeah. Um, how do you feel like I'm sitting here and others are sitting here. We talk about Tony LaRusso. We talk about pitching. Last week he pulls out he pulls out uh, Craig Kimbrell. He oh, pulls yes. Craig Kimbrell out. Yeah. After after uh, Kimbrell walk, throws seven balls, walks a guy, gets two guys out, and then he goes out and pulls them, you can tell Kimbrell's not happy. How do you think Tony LaRusso, the 76-year-old manager this year, is handling the pitching staff with the White Sox? Um, I'm critical. Um, I, I think there, there's been a little bit of an overuse of the bullpen, and it's hard to say that when you're up uh, nine and a half games. Um, sure. But here's the thing, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong or not. I think one of the the most misconceived numbers, stats in baseball is pitch count. They talk about pitch oh. count all the time. This pitcher's at 80 pitches. He's at 90 pitches. He's at 100 pitches. If you really want to do pitch count, count every pitch he throws in the bullpen warming up. Count the eight pitches where he goes out there on the mound in between innings because that counts as a pitch just like one in the ball game. So he may be entering, one guy may enter the game having already thrown 60 pitches. Another guy may have only thrown 40 warming up. Uh, you have the eight in between innings. To me, ask a guy how he's feeling. I mean, you sure. have these guys who, who can mow batters down. I, it was Lucas Giolito the other day. I think they pulled him. It was that game you're talking about. They pulled right. him after seven. He struck out 80. He had no walks. He was in the low 80s, I believe, for pitches. And then all of a sudden it was okay. We felt the need. It was like an, an itchy trigger finger to have to get to the uh, bullpen. And that's kind yeah. of what I see. And I guess that's the concern a little bit. And this is across baseball too. But think back to the 2005 White Sox, Fred. When they rolled through the playoffs, I mean, it was Contreras. It was John Garland. It was uh, Mark Burley. I mean, it was it was the starters that were going deep right. in the games. And, the, and then yeah. you didn't have to use your bullpen. You didn't have to use four guys. And that game we talked about the other night where they pulled Kimbrell, he's a closer. He's probably going to get out of that inning. But all of a sudden, you burn Kimbrell, then you burn Bummer, then you burn Liam Hendricks, and then you're having to go to another pitcher in a game where you may have only been able to go from Giolito straight to Hendricks. You had to throw three more arms. So that's the one thing that's a little bit concerning to me come playoff time is, yes, you want to have your starters fresh going into the playoffs, but at the same time, you want them to be able to work deep. You see Lance Lynn time and again and again, five innings, six innings, five innings, six innings. Yeah. He, has, he doesn't even qualify for enough innings to register for ERA, yet he's the favorite in Cy Young voting right now. I just think let these guys throw a little bit more. Yeah, you know, I was watching uh, MLB Central earlier today, and John Smoltz is the same way. He says the analytics are so crazy. What they've done and taken over the game is so, you know, he said pitch counts. He hates, hates pitch counts. There's a lot of other stats that he doesn't like in it, and I agree with him. Sometimes there's got to be a better 
merging of old school and new school. You can use analytics, but don't use them to tell you what to do. And uh, Smoltz was saying that too. He said so many times they're going off what they're, they think they're supposed to do as opposed to watching the game that's itself. And like you said with Giolito, pulling him after seven made no sense. And, um, you know, and then all of a sudden it's the bullpen and you got to keep reusing right. guys. And it was early. It was the first game of the three-game series with Toronto. I mean, sorry, with Tampa Bay. Oh, yeah. And just a bad way of doing it. And it happens all the time now. It's almost like the managers are told, and I've been told that a lot of times they are by the right. general manager, this guy can only go this many. The one thing, and I'm, I'm looking forward to what's going to happen as the season goes on, is with Rodon and with Cease, they're both already over their – their total number of innings pitched in a season. And I know they're trying to rest these guys. Um, but like when Rodon's coming back after being 10 days off, they said today he should be back on Thursday if everything works out well. You got him. You have Dylan Cease, who for some reason, every time he gets an 0-2 count, he always goes to 3-2. to two. I don't know why he didn't want to put guys away. Um, so it, it gets tough. But how do you feel about those two with Cease and Rodon when they're already over their, their highest um, innings pitched in a season? Well, and that's the determination. Do you want to win? If you want to win, hey, you got to roll with these guys, and all you're doing is you're setting a new standard, and, and that's what it is. At, at some point, they have to determine what their standard is. Okay, maybe it was 120 innings before. This year, maybe they have to throw 160 innings. And think about this, Fred, and I, and, and I, I see your tweets all the time. To me, right now, if you're going into the bullpen tomorrow, Dallas Keuchel's not in my rotation. I would rather have Rodon and Cease and Giolito and Lance Lynn. And right. I don't know if Dallas Keuchel's even on the roster because you're not going to throw him out of the bullpen. So yeah, there's and, no place for him, right? And so, so what do you what do you do with that? I mean, and, and that's yeah. the thing about it. To me, he's the guy you let go out there and just chew up innings right now. If you want to give some of these other guys a little bit of a rest, you know, Dylan Cease can be very good. If he's going to be your fourth starter in a playoff series and throw one game, fine. I'm going to roll the dice with that. If I can get two out of Lynn, if I can get two games out of Giolito and two games out of Rodon. I'm going to feel really confident in a seven-game series with anybody going uh, against those three. So that's my feeling, at least. But, yeah, these guys are going to have to set new standards. Yes, they're younger guys. But especially Rodon, you hate to say it, you have him for this year. He's not signed after this year. So, you know, go out there and pitch and and get everything you can out of him. Yeah, the question for the longest time this season, I brought it up a couple times on the radio, was who do you re-sign, Rodon or Lynn? Because Lynn was also on a, a last you know, one-year deal, and uh, they made the decision, and I think it was a good one. But um, you know, Rodon's pitched very, very well. He'd have to give the White Sox a huge hometown discount in order for him to stick around. There's no doubt. Or if he wants to stay in town, he can always go pitch on the north side. Well, yeah. They need a pitcher. They, they, they need, need a, a lot pitcher. of pitchers. I could probably pitch on the north side right now, Fred. But here's the thing you, about they, it. And, and kudos to Rick Hondo. He, he was able to get Lynn early in the season. But the job he did with some of these young guys, I mean, look at the contract they have for Abreu, the contract they have for Luis Robert, for what they sure. did with Eloy and that. They did a great job to be able to make some of these other moves, to get Liam Hendricks, to get Lance Lynn. I, th- I think that's an executive of the year type of move just for the jobs that Rick Hahn has done in the front office. Yeah, I did some stuff. I was out with Luke Canellis and George Hoffman on Fox 32 last night, and they were saying, who's to blame for the Cubs' problems? And they said, Jed Hoyer, Tom Ricketts, the players, or David Ross. And I said, I'm sorry, it's Theo, because Theo didn't work deals to get these guys and stagger them or sign them to long-term deals at the time. They all run out at the same time. They right. didn't develop in their money, anybody in their minor leagues. They did poor drafting. Theo got out while the getting was good. 
and Jed was left holding the bag right now, and he looks like the bad guy, but it wasn't Jed's fault. No, no, it was Theo. I mean, Theo for sure, but Theo thought he was setting up what you had of the Atlanta Braves in the early 2000s. He thought you were going to sure. have deep playoff run after deep playoff run after deep playoff run with that roster, and you got the World Series, which was great, but after that, you didn't get those deep runs, and you're right. They set themselves up to where they are now, and now it's a three- or four-year rebuilding process in a division that's starting to get pretty good once again. When, you, when you're talking yeah. the Reds getting better again, the Brewers are still solid, and you know the Cardinals are always there. It's going to be a little bit tougher on the Cubs to get back to the top. Yeah. One of the things that I know bothered me, and Ozzie Guillen used to do this. He would have his Sunday lineup, and he would give a game away. And I thought that's what happened on Saturday when Tim Anderson wasn't playing, Luis Robert wasn't playing. Anderson had – I mean, it was Anderson was the reason they won on Friday because he had the homer to tie it in the ninth. He drove in the uh, go-ahead run in the 11th, scored the insurance run. Then we hear he's got sore legs. He's not playing tonight, Monday night. He's not going to play Tuesday night, they say, either. Yeah. Sore legs for a player at this point of his year? I mean, that sounds weird to miss four straight games in a baseball season. If that's the question, put him on the IL. Put him on the 10 days. You can at least get somebody else there. And here's the thing. You look at the the first couple of games with the Sunday lineup, I mean, and, the, and the, the other thing that's a problem, they can't win with the Sunday lineup. At least Ozzy, no. some of the Sunday lineup games they were able to win. You're, you're yeah. not winning and you're not competitive. But I watched, I think, three balls over the course of the week, and they were hit just out of the reach of Danny Mendick at shortstop. And he's doing everything sure. he can do. These are balls that Tim Anderson's fielding and making the play on. So that is a little bit concerning to me. And everybody says you're up nine and a half games and everything's going to be just fine in that. What happens if in two weeks you're up four and a half games? Then right. everybody's going to get nervous. It happened in 2005. Last year, they went from exactly. the division to getting in via wild card in an expanded playoffs. I, I, let's let's wrap this thing up, and then we can worry about getting guys ready for October. Yeah, I agree. There's no doubt I agree. Um, we could talk more Cubs, but there's no re nothing really to talk about there. And baseball, the nice thing about it is, and being in a city like Chicago, we talk so much about the Sox and Cubs, but I'm looking today. The Reds now took over the wild card spot in the National League, the second one. Yep. We've got the the uh, Braves are playing the Yankees. Both teams have won nine straight games. Yankees haven't lost since the Field of Dreams game. That's the thing I love about baseball. And I always tell people, you can play, you can watch all day long. So many people say, well, they watch the NFL because they have money on it. But people will watch NBA games and other things. I can watch baseball anytime because there's always a story there somewhere. There's always a lot of great young players. I think the game's going in the right direction. But when you look down at lineups, Cesar Hernandez, 228, Vaughn, 260, Moncada. He has a seven, a 10-game hitting streak. He's hitting 257. Right. I don't know. Uh, Goodwin's hitting 230. It's changed. I found out the other day there's only 13 players in the big leagues hitting 300 right now. And yeah, that blows that's my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that, that's really scary. It used to be 50 players that were hitting 300. Sure. And, and sure. That's, that's the other thing is you look – there's threats in the Sox lineup, but it's only really one small bunch of threats from two, three, four. I mean, Mancata's had his issues throughout the course of the year, especially in situational hitting type of uh, setups where he's just struck out with runners on second and third or the runner on third right. and less than two outs instead of getting that ball in play. The bottom of the order, I mean, you have Danny Mendek, who's not even hitting 200. Sebi Zavala's had a couple games, but he's not really considered a threat at the plate. And right. that's kind of some of the things that you have to determine coming towards the playoffs. I mean, getting Yasmani Grandal back is going to be huge for them because he gets on base. He can hit for power. He can hit the ball from the left side of the plate. I guess their biggest question, Fred, for, for positional players, who do you keep on this playoff roster? I mean, do, what do you do with between 
Billy Hamilton, Brian Goodwin, Larry Garcia, Danny Mendek, and even bring like say Gavin Sheets into the mix because you're maybe you can keep two of those on the playoff roster. So, I mean, Billy Hamilton could could be the guy because of his speed and, and defense, but you're not going to put him up there to pinch hit. Brian Goodwin's no. had some some huge hits, but Gavin Sheets is a guy who's your left-handed power bat if you need one too. Yeah, Gavin Sheets has to be back, and you're right. There's too many questions. Yeah, they they got Jake Lamb back up here. I'm not sure why. Maybe because he can play third base at a pinch. I'm not sure. That doesn't seem to make any sense. It'll be fun. Uh, but you're right. I'm glad you brought up the uh, 2005 because they had like a 16-17 game lead, and we sweated all that all the way down to I think three and a half. Yep. So uh, yeah, it was no fun at all. Uh, okay, so you have harness racing now. When did the thoroughbred start? So thoroughbred start the second week of October. So we're going to do that track conversion. It, it, it's amazing. If you want to come out there and see it, about the full card in 72 hours. We're going to turn that track over from a limestone harness space to put an eight inches of dirt inside to out around a mile oval and compact it and get it ready to roll. It is. It's a very cool process to see. But they start the uh, second week of October. Then we race all the way through the end of the year. And then we get ready for what's going to be a really interesting 2022, Fred, because all the racing's at Hawthorne. We're still working on calendars. We don't even know what the racing season's going to be just yet, but it's great because we work with both of our horsemen's groups. They're putting together right. ideas. We're putting together ideas bouncing everything off everybody. We want to make it equitable for everybody and then just hope to grow from there. Yeah, that sounds great. Jim, um, um, we'll, we'll see you next weekend. My brother and I are going to yeah. come out. My girlfriend's going to come with. We're going to have a nice night out at the track and uh, maybe bet some games if there's something on too. I'm sure there will be something on a Sunday night baseball, if nothing else. Yeah. So thanks yeah. a lot for jumping on tonight. You got it. Thanks, Fred. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime. Jim Miller from Hawthorne Racecourse, Director of Publicity, also the uh, handicapper from Hawthorne Racecourse, and it's a great time out there. Like I said, I grew up in Cicero. We walked to Hawthorne. My One of my buddies lived a block away. Um, it's a track that's been there for a long, long time, and they've been able to survive, and uh, it's great going out there. Cannot wait to go next weekend and have a good time out at Hawthorne Racecourse. Before we talk a little more beer, and you know what I didn't do? I didn't open one. So we come back. We can take a quick uh, hear from our sponsor. When we come back, I'm going to open my beer, and we got some beer talk for you before we uh, get moving on here on Hubes Views and Brews. Hello, this is Paul from Nick and Ivy Brewing Company. We are located at 1026 South State Street in historic downtown Lockport, Illinois. We are very excited to be partnering up with the Fat Mike Chicago Sports Show, as well as the 1252 brand, because we are one of the few Chicagoland breweries that embrace sports and sports culture. Come in for a fresh brewed beer made right here in Lockport while catching the game of your favorite team. Stay for the live music that we have booked every weekend. Or just come for a cozy atmosphere to enjoy a good conversation with a friend, loved one, or complete stranger. Nick and Ivy makes you feel right at home no matter what the occasion is. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Nick and Ivy Brewing Company. Visit our website for our up-to-date tap list or to go shopping on our online store at nickivybrewing.com. That's N-I-K-I-V-Y brewing.com. Come in today for a fresh brewed beer born and raised in Lockport, Illinois. And a perfect time for a Nick and Ivy spot. They have their one-year anniversary coming up this weekend, August 27th, 28th, and 29th. Paul and the uh, guys over at Nick and Ivy are going to have a lot of stuff going on all weekend long. Uh, get on out there. Again, starting on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they're going to have food out there. They're going to have a lot of different things happening as they celebrate one year in downtown Lockport. Um, just a fun time, a great brewery, 
some tremendous beer and uh, one year anniversary. Cannot wait. Okay, so the beer I'm having, and I had this out. I just got so excited to talk with Jim Miller, I forgot to open it. And it's from Black Horizon, okay? It is a Rocky Road sugar bomb. And it tastes, I've had this before. It tastes pretty much like it's described. Sorry, the table's rocking because I'm opening the beer. It's a darker beer, and it's very, very tasty. It's darker, but it's not a stout, okay? 7% alcohol by volume. Very, very tasty. They describe it as a Rocky Road milkshake IPA. But it's not like a lot of the milkshake IPAs. A lot of those you won't be able to see through. Heck, you can almost see me through the glass for those watching uh, on video. Uh, let me taste this really quick. Mm. Just as you bring, just as you bring your nose to it, you can smell it. And if you're a, if you're a cream soda fan, I know that Nick and Ivy has a, a beer that's a vanilla cream, the 1853. This Rocky Road Sugar Bomb it tastes a little bit like that, okay? Because there's a lot of you think Rocky Road, you think sweetness. There's a lot of sweetness to it. The smell of sweetness. It tastes very, very good. Tastes very sweet. 7% alcohol by volume. I'm, um, I won't be able to finish this by the end of the show, but I will definitely finish it immediately afterwards. Mm. Okay, some other uh, beer things I want to get into. Okay. And no beer guests this week. We'll try to get one next week. It's not that I couldn't find one. I just didn't try to get a beer guest this week. I uh, wanted to talk to Jim Miller, wanted to talk about some other things. I knew I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Bears and White Sox baseball. It was great talking with Jim about White Sox baseball because I know he has his opinions. You can follow him on um, follow him on Twitter. He's a good follow on Twitter. Um, so Goldfinger Brewing has their Oktoberfest coming up, October 2nd. And uh, we just got done with the Rotary Fest in downtown Downers Grove. I saw Tom... And his wife, Nicole, and their little baby um, on Friday, not Thursday night, sitting outside Orange and Brew, having a beverage with uh, Eric from Orange and Brew. Uh, so they've got their Oktoberfest coming up on October 2nd. Um, Josh Noel, who was on the show with us last week, he, you check his articles out in the Tribune or online. You follow him on Twitter at Hopnotes, at Hopnotes, H-O-P-N-O-T-E-S. Talked about Unane Brewing in Niles. They're known for their hazy bombs, their uh, pastry stouts. They are releasing a German-style Pilsner. And we talked a little bit last week with Josh Noel about all the breweries that are making Pilsners and lagers and things like that, where that was never what the craft breweries, breweries would do. They were going the other way. Now a lot of the breweries are doing that because they know their drinkers love these things. They love the lagers. They love the pilsners. Um, you get a lot of those at Goldfinger, and I've enjoyed each and every one of them. Uh, Alter Fest coming up on Saturday, September 18th. Alterbrewing.com slash Alterfest. Uh, their fest beer is out. They have a big festival coming up. Get the tickets on their website, alterbrewing.com. That should be a lot of fun. I mentioned last week that Skeleton Key Brewing is continuing their collaboration brew tour. They were at Goose Island last week making a beer. They just released another beer. Um, they're doing a great job. They did a released a beer with, um, oh, Workforce Brewing. 
uh, Workforce Brewing and Skeleton Key just released a beer and it's very, very good. And if you, uh, they also have an Oktoberfest that they were releasing a little bit and uh, it's going to be at certain individual places. Now, you may have seen this can of beer during COVID. It's a 4% Pilsner and it basically says F COVID, okay? You can see it right there. And this was made by Ale Asylum in Madison, Wisconsin. It's a 4% Pilsner. And it's a very, very light beer, as you can imagine. Uh, Guinness is 4.1%. Miller Light, uh, Bud Light is 4.2%. This is a 4% Pilsner, okay? And Ale Asylum in Madison, Wisconsin, after 10 years, they're going to have a liquidation sale in October. Now, I'm a little confused. I was reading some of the stuff from Josh Noel I'm a little, and from other people. I was a little confused if they're closing all the brewery, all of their stuff, or just certain facilities, but they're having a liquidation sale in October. Um, some of the reports say overzealous expansion as competition continued to increase. And um, it's a shame because Ale Asylum has always made some good beers up in Madison, Wisconsin. So um, this was just one of them. I've got a couple more in my refrigerator. Um, my buddy, uh, Larry Griffin, his, his daughter, Chrissy, gave me these. Thought it was very cool. She saw them. And she goes, you're a beer guy. You'd like these. I've had a couple of them. When I didn't want to drink a lot of anything heavy or a 7 or 8 percenter, I uh, pounded one of the uh, 4 percent beers. So that was very, very tasty. Um, so a lot going on in, in beer, and there always is, which is a good thing because uh, I'm enjoying it each and every uh, week, going to different places, enjoying all of the different um, beers that are out there. But there's an article in the New York Post I wanted to get to. Let me grab my iPad here so it's easier for me to read it than it just to keep balancing it off, okay? This is an article that was in the New York Post today. It says, eating one hot dog takes 35 minutes off your life, according to a study. I had two hot dogs last night. If that happens, I am really outliving where I should be because I've had hot dogs my entire life. And I don't just mean at ball games and things like that. When I was living at home with my parents, my mom and dad in Cicero, 26th and 59th court, we had a microwave, one of the first microwaves that people can't. It was a huge, huge microwave, but you could make a hot dog in 30 seconds. Two hot dogs, a minute, boom, on bread, on whatever. So I've been eating hot dogs like crazy since I was a freshman in high school, okay, since 71. So here's what they said. Researchers released a nutritional index this week aiming to inform guidelines and help Americans achieve healthier and more environmentally stable diets. The index ranked foods by minutes gained or lost off healthy life per serving with processed meats and sugary drinks among the biggest offenders. As they mentioned sugary drinks, let me take another sip of my um, Rocky Road sugar bomb. Ah, that's good. So findings included over 5,000 foods in the U.S. diet classified by health burden and environmental impacts. The foods studied ranged from 74 minutes lost to 80 minutes gained per serving. Sugary drinks, hot dogs, burgers, and breakfast sandwiches were linked with most minutes of healthy life lost. Breakfast sandwiches? Come on. Are you kidding me? The Wendy's breakfast, it's a... Um, it's a biscuit or, no, it's a croissant. It's a croissant with egg and sausage. Two of those for four bucks. Are you kidding me? 
And you're going to tell me each one that have I have one? I'm losing some time off my hand. Oh, that's awful. Um, fruits, non-starchy and mixed vegetables and ready-to-eat cereals and cooked grains were associated with the largest gains. That's wonderful. You want to eat fruits and vegetables all the time. More specifically, researchers found that consuming one 85-gram serving of chicken wings translated to 3.3 minutes of life lost. So if you're a big wing eater, you're in trouble. Owing it to sodium and harmful trans fatty acids. While a beef hot dog on a bun resulted in some 36 minutes lost, largely due to the detrimental effects of processed meats. What's more, and this one, this is why I'm still around, okay? What's more, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches were associated with an increase of 33 minutes. An increase? There's an increase of 33 minutes? That sounds good, actually. So maybe I'm counteracting with the peanut butter and jelly and the hot dogs. Who knows? Foods like salted peanuts, baked salmon, rice with beans associated with gains between 10 and 15 minutes. Researchers from the University of Michigan School of Public Health um, published the findings or published the findings detailing their newly developed health nutritional index. Um, so yeah. Let's see, there's more here. Researchers also classified foods by nutritional and environmental impact or short-term global warming. you got to be kidding me. Healthy, environmentally sustained foods, including nuts, fruits, vegetables, legumes, whole grains, and some seafood, whereas foods with poor nutritional value and production linked to high environmental impacts included beef, processed meat, pork, and lamb, cheese-based products, certain salmon dishes. In contrast, most poultry, dairy, Egg-based foods and cooked grains fell into an intermediate zone. Well, I wouldn't mind being in the intermediate zone, okay? That's okay. But um, I'm a big fan. I'm not sure about almond butter, Kurt. I don't know. I'm kind of an almond milk guy. Almond butter's not bad. But uh, we'll have to see. Now, I'm confused by this article. I'm not the, the smartest guy in the in the world. But what it says here about the peanut butter and jelly What's more, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches were associated with an increase of 33 minutes. Now, do they mean an increase of minutes lost, or do they mean an increase of minutes that you're going to live longer? I don't know. Let's go with that, because that's what I think. That's the way I think it's going to work out. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to, as I always try to do, a What's Up Fred's Can. I touched on it last week at the very beginning of the show, and I didn't use it. Well, let's use it now for What's Up Fred's Can. Well, maybe it's just because you're ugly. Ugly? You gotta be kidding me. Oh, come on! Time for What's Up Fred's Can on 1252 Sports Chicago. Okay, I mentioned this at the very beginning of the show last week, and the only reason I remembered it is because I went back and listened to the show, and I said I didn't, I didn't even bring it up. The National Football League makes millions and millions and billions of dollars. Okay, before the very first game of the NFL season, every team in the NFL gets a check from the National Football League that more than pays their salaries for all the players because of their TV deals with ESPN, with Amazon, with NBC, you name it. So all the money they make on these TV deals, 
They split the money up. All the teams make money. They pay for all of their team. You hear, oh, what's the salary cap going up to? What's this? What's that? The, all that money is taken care of by the TV contracts. So these NFL teams are just making money hand over fist. And this year, instead of four preseason games, they have three. And I mentioned early in the show last week, the NFL likes to call them preseason games. They don't like them to be called exhibition games. Because one of the reasons, if I'm not mistaken, is they charge the same amount for the tickets for the exhibition games that they do for the regular season games. Now, I may be wrong, but even if I'm wrong, they're still charging too much for games to watch players where half of them are not going to be there. There's 90-some players on a roster. They get reduced all the way to 55, 56. So 40 of the players aren't going to be out there. So, yeah, and my producer, Andrew Tarbill, says, I'm not mistaken, he says, my uncle is a season ticket holder. It's the biggest complaint. Yeah, they charge you the same amount for the preseason ticket as they do for the regular season. This is from an organization that's making all of their money to pay all of their players with one check every year. I'm sure it gets direct deposited into the account of Chicago Bears Limited, and uh, all the payrolls come out of there. It's embarrassing for them to charge that much. You should charge half, if not less than half. That's what's up my can. Now, I don't go to NFL preseason games. I have had to watch them because of the job I do, not only on ESPN 1000, but also when I sit here and talk with you guys on Hume's Views and Brews. It's very difficult to watch some preseason games, especially the way they don't put in a lot of plays in. They just have the guys out there to recreate. So, But to charge the paying customer as much as you do for a regular season game, absolutely brutal. We're getting closer to the NFL season, and next week we're going to get an old friend of mine on. Steve Silverman is a guy that wrote for Pro Football Weekly back in the day. He's a guy that I hosted Bears pregame shows with. I hosted Bears pregame shows over on The Score Sports Radio, and I worked with Steve Silverman and Raymond Harris. I worked with Steve Silverman and uh, Dave Durison. And um, Steve Silverman is going to join me next week. We're going to talk a lot of football. We're going to talk some fantasy football next week. Talk a little bit of fantasy football. I'm not a great fantasy guy. That's why you can check out the world's best fantasy show each and every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock right here on the 1252 Sports Network. Um, but a little bit of fantasy football, a little bit of regular NFL, uh, you know, hard news football. Steve is a great guy. Love to have him on. He'll be joining me next week uh, a little after 7 o'clock. So as I finish this Rocky Road sugar bomb, thanks to Jim Miller, get on out to Hawthorne Racecourse, also the Points Bet Sportsbook that's out there. My brother Timmy, uh, my girlfriend Linda, my brother Barry, I think we're all going out there next Sunday. Hopefully get out out there and catch some racing, win some races, maybe bake a couple of sports bets. Maybe I can refill my points bet because I had a points bet app, lost all that money. I need to refill it and I can do it over at Hawthorne Racecourse. So thanks to Jim Miller for joining me today. And thanks to all of you for listening each and every Monday. We're probably not going to do a show on Labor Day, but uh, we'll get to it right after that with the bear season. Um, heck, on the um, the week after Labor Day will be the 13th. That'll be the day after the Bears-Rams game. So we'll have plenty to talk about as we go forward with Hughes, Views, and Bruce. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Grab a beer at a local craft store or a local brewery if you can. And uh, just tell them, hey, Fred told me to stop in. 
And uh, some of the guys may actually know me. They may, uh, they won't give you a discount, but they'll say thanks for coming in. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good week. Thank <music> you.